podcast. Diving, diving deep. deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everyone, welcome in to the Utopia Football Podcast on a Tuesday. It's Tuesday, so it's a mailbag edition of the podcast, mailbag at gmail.com. If you didn't get your question in this week, uh, then go ahead and send one in, um, and maybe we get to it next week. But we always do the mailbag on Tuesdays. We've got other things, the general news and notes from my co-host as we welcome you in. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast Sports Radio 610, joined as always by the aforementioned co-host, Hall of Famer, and senior columnist at SportsRadio610.com, John McClain. John, how are you? I'm doing great, Sean. Great time in the Houston area with the Texans winning. University of Houston hiring Willie Fritz, the head coach. Longhorns are in the Final Four. Got a chance to come to NRG Stadium, play for the championship, probably trying to beat Nick Saban two times in one season. Aggies got their coach, Mike Elko, so there's a lot of positivity in our part of the country. Emo Ime Udoka is challenging LeBron James to fight him <laughs> at, Laker and, at Laker and Rockets games. It's all good. You're right. This is a good time right now. Um, so let's let's start. And, and we know good time this past weekend at NRG Stadium for Texan fans. The Texans beating the Broncos, um, which was very beneficial for their playoff chances, although they're still seeded eighth in the AFC. So nothing has changed as far as their seeding. But two of the teams in front of them have come back to the pack in – Cleveland and Pittsburgh, who both lost this weekend. And obviously the Texans have beaten Pittsburgh. They're going to play Cleveland. They're going to play Indianapolis as well a second time. That's the other team that's ahead of them in the wild card race right now. But, John, their chances of winning the division, the Texans, took a drastic turn for the better last night in the Monday night football game. Not only with the outcome of the game, the Bengals behind Jake Browning beating the Jaguars 34-31 to in overtime, but Trevor Lawrence – who at this juncture right now, as you and I are recording this, I've not seen anything come out definitive or even like even like act, you know, like speculative by people who might know as to how long he's going to be out. We just know that it's a sprained ankle that he suffered late in the game. Looked really bad uh, just in terms of the optics of him being walked off the field and down the runway and into the, you know, to go get an MRI and things like that. Um, but at the very least, it's going to be a gimpy Trevor Lawrence, John, against the two hardest games that the Jags have remaining on the schedule, Cleveland this weekend and Baltimore the following week. Yeah, I don't see him playing either one of those games. Um, I thought he torn his Achilles or broken his ankle, torn his ACL, the way he reacted because he was scared. And um, the second biggest question about how long he's going to be out is why didn't they have a golf cart? They're in Florida. There's millions of golf carts to where he didn't have to walk off with his arm around two people very gingerly, and it's a long way to their locker room. I'm just blown away by that. It was all over the Internet. Why didn't they have him carted off? And I don't think he'll be – when you have an ankle injury, nobody has a clue how long it'll be till you come back. So I expect him to miss multiple games. Yeah, and these are the worst two games if you're the Jags to miss. And I think what's important for Texan fans to know, John, is that the the Texans, if they're going to win this division, they probably need to win it outright, you know, as in, like have a better record yep. than the Jags as opposed to a tie because the tiebreakers don't favor the Texans right now. No. Maybe it favors them a little better after the Jags lost to the Bengals last night, who the Texans beat, because I know common opponents 
somewhere down the food chain as a tiebreaker, but it's always head to head, which is the, the, the Jags are one and one, you know, they're one and one against each other. The next one is division record. And the Texans would essentially need to sweep the rest of their division games and hope that the Jags lose to the Titans in week 18, the final game of the year, just to get a tie in the division. The Jaguars are four and one in the division right now. The Texans are one and two. Then you'd move to the next tiebreaker, which I believe is record against common opponents. Um, and I don't, I, right now, I, all I know is that two of the Jags' losses are to San Francisco and Kansas City, who the Texans didn't, don't play. And one of their losses is to the Texans. So last night's game against Cincinnati is the first game the Jags have lost all season against a common opponent of the Houston Texans. So I say all that to say the tiebreakers are really working against the Texans right now. So they're going to have to they're going to have to win this thing by one game and and hope and I think their big opportunity here is that the Jags lose to Cleveland and lose to Baltimore, which means John that we will be rooting for the Cleveland Browns for the first time since Deshaun Watson was traded there. At least I am. I don't know who you're rooting for. If you're rooting for the Jags and you hope that the Texans draft pick is better and they knock a wild card team out of the hunt here, or that the Browns do a favor for the Texans in the division and beat the Jags. What are you rooting for in this game on Sunday? Hard draft choice because the Texans could beat the Jaguars if they played them in Jacksonville. Jacksonville's two and four at home. Went they're unbeaten on the road. You're talking they play them in a you're talking they play them in a wild card game, right? If they play, yeah. If they uh uh or the Jaguars win and they gotta go over there. Yeah. If the if the Jaguars are home, the Texans are on the road and they play the Jaguars. Yeah, I don't think anything's wrong with that because Jacksonville's been terrible at home. CJ Beathard did about as good a job as he could do under the circumstances. Jake Browning was fabulous, threw for more yards Monday night. And he'd thrown in his entire career, and he looked like he could put the Bengals back in a playoff race. Well, and that's the other thing, too, John. If you're a Texan fan, that one of the encouraging things about that game last night, seeing Jake Browning play the way he, the way he did, this is just the first of a few games that the Bengals are going to be playing against teams that you're chasing right now in the playoff race. They play Indianapolis this weekend. You're chasing them. They play Pittsburgh in, in two weeks, or in three weeks, actually, week – 14, 15, week 16, they play Pittsburgh. Who knows what the league looks like at that point? That's, we also that's, got to point out, Sean, that people ask why the head-to-head victory has still over Pittsburgh as them behind Pittsburgh because head-to-head doesn't count when it's three-plus. Right. Um, yeah, when there's more than two teams in, in a tie. Yeah, they, the tiebreakers get very confusing. But my back to Cincinnati. Cincinnati, this was something I said on the podcast last week, John, that Joe Burrow's injury actually hurts the Texans because Cincinnati plays all these teams. The Texans are chasing in the last six games, Jacksonville, Indy, Pittsburgh, and Cleveland. I watched Jake Browning last night. I'm not saying he's Joe Burrow or anything, <laughs> but I but I feel like he's at least capable of going and beating at least a couple of these teams. He's perfectly capable of beating the Indianapolis, capable of beating the Colts next weekend. I do feel strongly about that. Boy, they so, they need because the Titans blew it. They had the Colts defeated. They blew it. They need for Browning to step it up and help them win that game. That was the only thing that happened the entire weekend that was that was that that worked against the Texans. Pittsburgh lost to Arizona at home. Cleveland lost uh, to L.A. Uh, by two scores on the road. Jacksonville losing last night. The Colts. The Colts-Titans game was the only other one that impacted the Texans where the outcome went the wrong way. Fortunately, the big one, the Texans actually beating the Broncos, went the right way um, as well. But that was a, that's, 
this is a huge, huge storyline, this Trevor Lawrence injury, if you're a Houston Texan fan right now. Absolutely. All right, let's get to uh, just a quick peek. We're going to go more of a deep dive on the Jets and the Texans in Thursday's um, in Thursday's uh, episode of this podcast. We'll do our six-pack on Thursday of uh, storylines to preview for the game. But I guess the news, biggest news surrounding this game right now, John, is that the Jets, uh, at least for 24 hours, were experiencing a little bit of turbulence in the quarterback situation. Although Rich Semini, as you mentioned before the podcast, who covers the Jets up there on the Jets beat, said that it looks like Zach Wilson is going to start. But this is in the wake of stories, Diana Rossini of The Athletic, saying that uh, they want to circle back to Zach Wilson to be their starter at quarterback, but he's, quote, reluctant to take the position over um, or to retake the position. Robert Sala denied that yesterday in his press conference. John, needless to say, there's a lot of smoke. Do you think there's any fire to any of this? Uh, what Rich Samini said, and I've known Rich forever. He's covered that team about 25 years. He said that it wasn't that Wilson went to Robert Sala and said, I don't want to start. Is he'd expressed to a teammate, an agent, a coach that, well, if I come back and play, I could get hurt, and then they're going to cut me, and it hurt me in free agency. So then somebody leaked that to the athletic. And uh, and they said he, he Rich said I expect him to be named the starter on Wednesday. Can you imagine if he starts say throws an interception on his first series, Derek Stingley intercepts him, and then how he would get booed up there? Uh, they go three and out if he doesn't play well. They haven't they've averaged nine points a game in the last five games. I don't think they've scored more than thirteen in almost two months. And uh, I don't know why they wouldn't want to keep losing so you can get a higher draft choice. But they're letting Aaron Rodgers run that offense with Nathaniel Hackett, a terrible play caller. If the Texans were to lose this game, my goodness, it wouldn't be as bad as the Panthers, their only victory. But, man, it'd be right up there. Texans should win this game. But I feel confident they are indeed going to go up against Zach Wilson, the second overall pick in the draft. Isn't it amazing, fate? Yeah, you, one year you get the second pick, you get Zach Wilson. A couple of years later, you get the second pick, you wind up with C.J. Stroud. I, I, yeah, I mean it's that's that's the danger in in hoping that your you know your team loses and you pick high. If you pick high in the wrong year, it's almost better, John, to get a high pick in a year where there's just no quarterbacks than it is one where there's some questionable quarter. You know, like ones that are talented but polarizing as far as whether or not they deserve to be up there. In 22, the Texans were picking third. The year they picked Stingley, the only quarterback that went, I think, in the first two rounds in that draft was Kenny Pickett, who went 20th to the Steelers. So, like, like in some, I mean, I remember looking at mock drafts leading up to that 2022 draft, and it seems like these mock drafts, even when the quarterbacks are bad, the mock drafters have three or four in the first round. Like Malik Willis was going with the sixth overall pick to people in that draft. Um, yeah, I'm just glad it worked out the way it did for the Texans and with CJ Stroud, undoubtedly. Oh, absolutely. Everybody is. Yep. All right, John, general news and notes. We do it on every Tuesday episode. What nuggets do you have that'll smarten the people up as they're at the water cooler this week? Well, I got quite a few. Nico Collins, nine catches, 191 yards and a touchdown against the uh, Broncos. It turns out there's only three receivers in Texans history who have had at least 190 yards before Nico Collins. Mm. The first two are easy. Who do you think the third one is? I'm going to say, well, the first two are obviously Andre Johnson and DeAndre Hopkins. Yep. 
You're saying over 200 yards or over 190 over, yards? Over, it reached 190. 190. Uh, Will Fuller? You got it. Will, Will Fuller. Fuller. I, and I can tell you what game it was, John. It was week five, 2019 against the Atlanta Falcons. Will Fuller blew up that game. Am I right? Well, there's now, yep. And there's now four of them. Yep. Uh, Will Anderson Jr. had a great game. By the way, Will is uh, the defending uh, Lombardi Trophy winner, Lombardi Award winner. They're, we're, I'm on that committee and we're crowning the uh, 50th anniversary winner on Wednesday night at the Ross Nest Hotel in the big event. So he will have to pass the baton, so to speak. And uh, Will had two sacks, two tackles for losses, four quarterback knockdowns, and one pass defense against the Broncos. Now, this stat doesn't even include his eight pressures, which tied his career high. But those first four stats I mentioned, there's only two other players who have done that this season, Micah Parsons Mm and Khalil Mack. Well, those are two pretty good ones. Yeah, Khalil Khalil Mack had a six sack game this year, didn't he? Or am I dreaming that? Uh, he did. Yeah, but he's still not a league leader in uh, when it comes to uh, sacks. That's pathetic. If you get a six sack game and you're not leading the league, John, I'm going to steal a word from you. That's pathetic. You got to lead the league if you're getting six in a game. Jalen Car Jalen Carter has had that defensive rookie year supposedly wrapped up for a while, but you don't hear him much anymore. Where Will Anderson Jr., especially now going to New Jersey, having a chance to put on a show against the Jets in front of all the New York, New Jersey media, that would be great for him. Right now, if you go those stats that uh, that I just talked about, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, the only rookie rookies to do what he just did, two sacks, two tackles for loss, four QB knockdowns, and one pass defense. The only rookies who've done that dating back to 1933. And this is weird. J.J. Watt and Jalen Phillips, who just went down for the season for the Dolphins. The only rookies to have that stat line since 1933. Now, sacks weren't even kept back then, but they still – they kept them. They just weren't official. Yeah. So two things there. One, <laughs> it's wild that J.J. Watt is one of them because Texan fans may be like, yeah, of course J.J. Watt's one of them. But that was as a rookie, which he was not a great player as a rookie. He's good. Nope. He had five and a half sacks, and that was all. The whole year, yeah. So obviously two of them came in one game where he piled up some other stats. If I had to guess, it was probably in the second half of the season at some point for J.J. because you could start to see in the playoffs, you know, the pick six but he was the best player on the field against Baltimore that year too in the playoffs, him and Arian Foster. Um, so that's a little surprising that J.J. did it in his rookie year. The only other thing, hearing Jalen Phillips' name, it's not that he's out for the year, John. It's that he's out for the year after tearing his Achilles on the very turf the Texans will be playing this Sunday on at MetLife Stadium. I'm terrified about that. I'm ter- I, There's a big part of me that just wants to get through this game on Sunday and get off of that, that toxic, horrible, quicksand turf that they've got at uh, MetLife Stadium. Think about the Jets every time they go out on that field. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that would have, that would affect my desire to play there. Like, if, you know, luring if I was a free agent, do I want to go play at MetLife Stadium? I mean, bad enough you got to play for the Jets or Giants, um, but to play on that field, too, at the same time. The Texans' defense played great Sunday. Yes, they gave up a couple of long plays, including a touchdown. But overall, they did some interesting things. They limited Russell Wilson to 44 yards passing in the first half. That's the mm-hmm. fewest of his career. They also 
for the third time in Houston history, held a team without a third down conversion. Broncos were 11. That is the first time the Broncos haven't converted a third down since 1995. And also, Sean, Texans three sacks and three interceptions. First time they've done that in a game since 2019. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, that's that that sounds about right, seeing as that was the last time they were good at football before this season was 2019, that they they're accomplishing that on on uh, on defense. Yeah, John, you know what? I hadn't realized till I was reading some of the follow-up analysis of the game from various places, including John McClain on sportsradio610.com. I hadn't realized they were 0 for 11, the Broncos, in that game on third down. And I'm thinking, like, why did I not realize that? Well, it's probably because they were 3 for 3 on fourth down. So there were – when you think of 0 for 11 on third down, I think of a team that loses 28 to 3 or something like that. Um, but the fact of the matter is they hit some chunk plays. You know, the, the touchdown was not a the, – the, the touchdown the, – both touchdowns that they scored had 40-plus yard chunk plays, including the actual touchdown itself to Cortland Sutton. So you don't need third down conversions when you're getting 45 or 50 yards on a completion. And then all those fourth down conversions on the final drive, uh, you know, two in particular on the final drive, they converted one in the first half and then two on the final drive. They were three for three on fourth down, but I hadn't realized they didn't convert a single third down the whole game. That was, I was like, wow, good job, Texans. Way to go. One reason they were so good on third down, Derek Stingley Jr. has been on fire since he returned from injured reserve three games ago. He now has four interceptions in the last three games. That's the first time uh, a player's done that in the NFL this season. It is the first time in Texans history a player's done that. And one of the matchups, well, not matchups, one of the stories about this game is going to be so interesting. Sauce Gardner picked one spot behind Derek Stingley Jr., NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year, while Stingley spent nine games on IR versus Derek Stingley Jr. And Stingley has more interceptions in these last – he had as many Sunday as Sauce Gardner has in his career. So yeah. watching those two corners, and you know as competitive as they are, they're going to want to put on the show and have people think they did the best job. Um, John, when do the players of the week come out? Is it Wednesday or is it Tuesday or Wednesday? I think it's Wednesday. Yeah, okay. it should be today. Okay, so Wednesday. How do you pick between teams? Okay. If you were picking picking the defensive player of the week uh, in the NFL and you had to pick from Derek Stingley Jr. and Will Anderson Jr., which junior would you take? I would take, I would take, well, it's a tough one. Um, I would take Stingley because the, the, I mean, the interceptions, you don't win the game without those. I mean, you probably don't win the game without Will Anderson either, but those two interceptions, the first one led directly to the Texans. Last touchdown, intercepting it in Bronco territory towards the end of the third quarter. And then the second one, I think, was at a juncture in the game where the Broncos were trying to take a lead. Because I think I think Wilson threw the interception. I'd have to go back and look. It would be Stingley, John. There's the, the impact of those two interceptions was massive, absolutely massive. And and it's it's a hard decision, but I would go with Stingley, and I think Stingley is going to win it. Like the two interceptions are what pop, I think, for people picking an award like that. Um, but you've been, you've probably voted on awards like that before, I would imagine. Maybe I'm off base. I don't know. 
And uh, Derek Stingley, what does defense do is the most important thing for defense? Not yards, it's turnovers. not sacks, it's not anything. It's turnovers. turnovers. And he had two. Yep. And so I think it'll be Derek Stingley Jr. One was on his knees on a pass tip by Will Anderson Jr. The other one you won't see a better, more spectacular interception in which he had great closing speed on the middle, made a diving interception, a leaping interception that was just fantastic. Stingley yeah. has been phenomenal. Yep. So it was 16-10. Um, the Sutton TD made it 16-10. <clears throat> the Texans go out and they they've got a they, they they go out and they have the series where Dare had to fall on that fumble by CJ. So they go three and out. Broncos get the ball back. Stingley intercepts it. They go down, they get the Nico Collins touchdown to make it 22 to 10. Then the Broncos get the ball back and get the Russell Wilson touchdown to make it 22-17. The Texans go three and out again. That was the one where um, where Singleton sacked C.J. Stroud, and then it was third and 17. He threw incomplete. They punt. They go three and out. And so now the Broncos have the ball in the fourth quarter, 22-17, trying to take a lead, and they're, they're attacking downfield. <laughs> And Stingley made that interception. So both times Stingley made those interceptions, John, the Broncos had the ball with a chance to take the lead in the second half on those possessions. I think that's important as well. It was a, there were one-score games at the time, 16-10 to 10 on the first one, 22-17 on the second one. My last one, Sean, is, is maybe the most incredible stat I've seen this season. And uh, C.J. Stroud has 3,540 yards pass, and he leads the NFL. He's on a pace for 5,015. He would be the first rookie to lead the NFL in yards passing since a player I covered my first year of covering the NFL, Davey O'Brien in 1930. Oh, my God. Wow. 1930, Davey O'Brien had 1,323 yards coming out of TCU. He led the NFL 1930. You would think of all the great quarterbacks who were rookies. One of them yeah. would have led the NFL in passing, but none did. I think that would be great if Stroud okay. could get it. Let me see if I heard you correctly, John. You said 1930 this happened, right? Davey O'Brien? Davey O'Brien. Davey O'Brien. Did you say that you covered him, Davey O'Brien, early in your career? Is that what you said? <laughs> yeah, I said that. Okay. I was just making sure you're that joking. Was a joke, of course. Yeah. Well, you had me doing the math. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like um, wow, okay, this has got to be somebody. You know, like it's uh, who could it be? Daryl LaMonica or somebody like that? Whatever, I don't know. Um, no, the problem was for Stroud, of course. Well, and to his advantage, I guess. Yeah. They can't run the ball, so they can't move the ball without him throwing it. But he's going up against a great Jets defense, a great Browns defense. Yeah, Titans defense could be missing Jeffrey Simmons, who's been a thorn in their side, but they can still play. Mm -hmm. And then the Colts in the last game. So he's got a chance to do it, but it's going to be – he will – if he does it, he will have done it the hard way. Well, and no Tank Dell. we got to point that out, John. Like Tank Dell, we're, we're really going to find out this Sunday – I mean, I don't know. Maybe I mean the Jets are a good enough defense where they they may have shut down the Texans even with Tank Dell. That's a really really good defense. So I'll, I'll be anxious to see what our takeaways are on Sunday for the Texans offensively in light of who they're playing defensively and in light of who they're missing the Texans offensively with Tank Dell. You know when Dell Dell was out Sunday, 
didn't have a catch. Dalton Schultz didn't have a catch because he was out. Robert Woods played, didn't have a catch. Noah Brown played, and he didn't have a catch. Stroud still threw for 274 yards. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's start there, John. Let's shift to uh, let's shift over to the mailbag because that's the very first question we have is from Charles Honeycutt, and he says, "I wish Tank a successful recovery. In the meantime, who helps fill the void other than Nico Collins? So, who do you think? You know, that's we're talking. There's probably ten targets and probably seven catches for about eighty yards that are that if if the Texans are going to keep producing, are going to get divvied up somehow. Who do you think? Who do you think is uh, bumps themselves up to wide receiver two or at least pass catcher two? because Brevin Jordan's in the mix as well, behind Nico Collins. When Dalton Schultz is able to return from his hamstring injury, which I don't think it'll be this week, because guys just generally don't miss one game with a hamstring injury. But I think we'll see um, more two tight end sets, because Brevin Jordan's like a big receiver, and he showed Sunday that he can catch and he can run. But I think Noah Brown, we're going to see more of him. We're going to see more of Robert Woods. We'll see a little bit of uh, John Mechie, and it wouldn't bother me to get Xavier Xavier Hudson on the field. He was inactive on Sunday, but uh, there's a they still got a lot of good receivers on the team, and as long as Stroud's healthy, I think they'll still throw for a lot of yards. All right, let's get to the next mailbag question. This is from Jeevan. Uh, it says, Dear Sean and John, how do you think the NFL should address the increasing concerns regarding officiating errors, especially in the context of legalized sports betting? Do you believe these issues – could affect the integrity of the game and fan trust and what steps can be taken to ensure transparency and fairness as a season ticket member. We're showing up every game. We're surprised to hear let's go Broncos chanting from the time we parked our car in the parking lot. Thanks in regards, Jeevan. All right. Well, the Broncos, the, the crowd, we've talked about the crowd at Sunday's game, John, you've, you've addressed that on Twitter and on this podcast. That's so it's separate thing. But as far as the officiating goes, I saw an article from Mike Florio this week where he, he wants all 32 owners to get together independent of Roger Goodell and just basically figure this thing out because the officiating has gotten really, really bad. Yeah, I think the owner's trying to figure something out would be the worst thing that could happen to them because so many of them don't know squat about football officiating or the rules. Um, one thing they could do, and no, there's nobody's doing anything because of, of betting or anything like that. These guys are getting humiliated every week. You think they like being humiliated? No. The problem is and they, this has got to happen. They've got to have the sky judge. For instance, in that in the Kansas City game, throw down the field. It was an obvious interference that everybody saw except for the officials. Sky judge immediately tells the referee on the field, "You got a pass interference on so and so." They throw the flag. Doesn't delay the game. They have. They've got to have somebody who can see things that they don't see on the field because people. Get the advantage of have big screens on big scoreboard screens, plus big screens at home, high definition, super slow mo. They've got to have somebody sees what everybody else sees. They can make quick calls, and they're not going to be looking at the whole field. They're going to be looking at what we're looking at. That's something they have to do. Think if they had somebody, all the egregious errors that could have been overturned, like the thing on. Uh, Desmond King, only the only officials and only people thought that wasn't a fumble. Yeah. And I think in the replay showed it was clearly a fumble and a sky judge could say, Hey, there was a fumble, but yeah. they blown the whistle. So it wouldn't be a touchdown. They just give the Texans ball at that spot. I just think there's always going to be mistakes. Think about how many there used to be that we didn't have replay that they blew. 
I think they blow replay sometimes too, John. Like I think even with replay, they get it wrong sometimes. Like Tankdale sideline catch the week yes, before. Yes, yes. Like I, I don't I like. That's the thing. Like people are expecting some elixir out there that's just going to fix everything, and it's 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 always going to be. I, I mean, I guess if your point is that we can make incremental improvement because we have Sky Judge or whatever, yes. but I, but but I think the Sky Judge is going to screw it up as well from time to time. Like I think there's going to be just as right. many. I think we're going to have just as many bad calls in games, even with more more eyes means more mistakes as well. Like nothing's perfect. So I, um, it's just, yeah, it's bad. And then solutions, not, they need these people, like they need to be full-time employees. They're part-time. Oh, they employees. don't need like, to be full-time to do what? Like, They're almost full-time on? now, but with all the meetings they have. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, the, the people that are like, they need to be full-time, not part-time never go any further than the surface of their argument because of if course. you go, okay, well, what would that look like then? What would a full-time referee look like? What would they be doing for 40 hours a week that makes them better at refereeing football games? You know, the other, the other thing, Sean, is this is what Bill Belichick has tried to do every year. Let every play be reviewable. You don't get more challenges. It wouldn't make the game longer, but you just save a thing and boom, it comes up something else. I don't know why they've never done that if it's not going to, you're not asking for more challenges. You're just asking for the, the option. Yep. Um, this next one's from Harold. Guys, why has Petrie been so bad this season? Is safety now a priority in the draft next spring? No, they still um, love Petrie. He's playing bad. He made a good play the other day. He got beat on a touchdown. He's getting in position, and he's taking bad angles, or he's missing tackles, or he's getting beat on coverage. And uh, But, no, they're not going to do anything to him. They still love him. We had, Nick, yeah, we had we had Nick Casario on the show today, John, uh, on Pain and Pendergast, and I asked him about Petrie. I said, what, what would your assessment be of Jalen Petrie this year? And, and I, I'll give Nick credit. He did point out a couple of things Jalen needs improvement on, you know, the tackling being one of them. Um, but he his overall take, he literally said, I'll take a 1,000 Jalen Petries in the building, is what Nick said today. And when he was at Baylor, those last two years when he was great, he was known as a great tackler. Now – He's missing tackles. He's still coming in at bad angles. I don't know if he's playing out of position or what, but he is, of all the players on the team who you expected big things from, he's the one to me that's been the most disappointing. Well, John, even the TFL that he had against the uh, the Broncos on Sunday, it's just him shooting himself like a missile, you know, like it just it's at, at the running back's legs. And it's great because he actually hit the running back in the legs this time, but, like, it's that – it's that type of tackling that has him missing six other tackles. You know what I mean? Where he's just hurling his body at guys. You know, the he's problem just, you can't practice tackling. Yeah. 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 They I mean, never well, practice tackling. You, you tackle a dummy, but you don't go hit a guy, a teammate going full speed. That never happens. But why is he the only one that is super undisciplined with his tackling? Like, I get I what you're no saying. Idea. Yeah. No I mean, like, the, yeah. Like, that's, that's the thing. To me, it's not one of the things where he needs to, like, he needs to, like work for 30 minutes on tackling form. Like he knows what to do. He just never wraps up. He just throws his body around. It's a lack of discipline. I think not a lack of skill. Um, all right. Next question. Joe Q frequent emailer to the podcast. Two questions. Do you expect Gardner Minshew to be a week one starter next year somewhere Two: is Shane Steichen coaching as well or better than D'Amico Ryans? All right. So let's start with the first one, John. Gardner Minshew, who's been very solid this year, um, but they're going to have Anthony Richardson on the team next year. And I don't know what Gardner Minshew's contract situation is with the Colts, if he's signed a multi-year deal or not. Um, 
if they did, they could always trade him. I, I would imagine someone might give a, a, a day two or day three pick for Minshew, the way he's played this year. Do you expect Gardner Minshew to be one of the 32 starting quarterbacks when the season begins next no, year? No, I think he'll go in somewhere and be a backup and wait for somebody to get hurt, which is what happened with Anthony Richardson. As far as Dykin, look at their schedule. Look at the kind of teams they've beaten compared to the teams that the Texans have beaten, Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, Denver, uh, Cincinnati, all those teams have winning records. I'm not trying to take away from Shane Steichen, but I'm just talking about when you compare him to what D'Amico Ryans is doing, Ryans should be the favorite. And as I've said all season, if Anthony Richardson was still a quarterback, they wouldn't have won as many games because he he was struggling as a passer. He's turnovers. He couldn't stay healthy. But Minshew solidified the position with his experience. And he's had games before that he's played really, really well, including against the Texans, including against the Texans this season when he came off the bench. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I was going to say, John. I'm glad you mentioned that. Like one of the teams Shane Steichen did beat was D'Amico Ryans and the Houston Texans. We can't just ignore that, right? He did yep, beat him straight up. It's a team with a winning record. Yeah, it, it, and it's the team we're comparing him to right now. I think D'Amico's done a great job. I think he's – I would pick D'Amico as well. I think Shane Steichen's done a done a, a really, really good job. And I know they were both kind of starting, at least in terms of record, starting from uh, very far down the league. You know, the Colts were picking fourth last year. The Texans were picking second. So they're both in the very, very bottom coming into this season, off of last season, the very bottom part of the league. But I, I think the Colts, there were more pieces on the Colts roster, I think, coming into the season than there were experienced pieces than there were on the Texans roster. Yeah, no, nobody picked the Colts to finish with the second worst record by in Arizona. It was the Texans. And, uh, and yes, they didn't have Jonathan Taylor for a big part of the season. And I think the injury to Richardson actually worked to their advantage. You know, Shaq Leonard, he didn't, he didn't play well. Now he's playing with, Philadelphia. So they've had, he has done a really good job. Shane Steichen has, but if you break it down, the expectations were lower for the Texans than Indianapolis. Um, Matthew Kosecki has a fun exercise here. The email is super long, so I can't read the whole thing, but he, um, he says, uh, he says how much fun it's been to follow the Texans this year. He says, this has been one of the most fun Texan seasons I can remember, so much so that I felt like it could be fun to try to grade how much fun you're having compared to other teams around the league as a fan. You don't have to grade all of these, he said, but teams to grade how much fun fans are having following their team. If the Texans, John, I would say the Texans have to be a 9 or a 10 this year just in terms of how fun it's been out there this year, right? Yeah, I think all the games Detroit coming down to the be, wire. Detroit would be number one. Okay. They're, they're having the best season they've had since 1992. Their fans are going crazy on the road. And fans show up to every game, unlike here, where they should be ashamed for buying their tickets. I got no problem selling tickets to Denver. They did that before the season yeah. when they thought the team was going to be terrible. But the people that buy tickets and don't show up are an embarrassment to Houston. Yeah. Um just a couple other teams, John. Scale of one to ten. If the Texans are, you know, say the Texans are an eight or a nine, and you say Detroit's a ten right now, um, Indianapolis, how much fun are they having right now? Do you think? I guess they'd be, even though they lost their their quarterback, they wanted to watch grow. I guess they'd be right up there with the Texans at eight or nine. Okay. What about Cleveland, John? I think it's depressing. Browns fans having to see everything that's happened to quarterbacks. I think I don't think they're having fun right now at all. No, that, and I think they see the writing on the wall. And and optimism earlier 
right now, I think most of them are like gloom and doom. I think Pittsburgh and Cleveland are identical right now. You know, big issues at quarterback, pretty good defenses, and probably looking at the playoff standings going, man, it's just a matter of time. Uh, the clock's ticking on us right now. Um, one other one. Okay, he, Matthew puts Carolina and New England in here. I would. Are we allowed to do negative numbers, Matthew? Can we do negative numbers on this? We can do a one minus. What are you enjoying more, John? Watching Carolina fail the way they are with David Tepper and Bryce Young, or watching New England fail the way they are with Bill Belichick and New England because they've been on top for so long. Yeah, and right now they said stadium's not half packed, parking lot's not half packed, half full. I feel bad for Carolina. I feel bad for Bryce Young. Felt bad for Frank Rich, as David Tepp called him twice in the yep. news conference. But uh, New England, they won for so long, and they were on top of the world for so long, and they brought in Bill O'Brien to turn around Mac Jones's career. Uh, that's not going to look good on Bill's resume. Yep. Um, John, this is from Chris in Atlanta. John was praising Mills as the backup in the last episode. Do the Texans have the best backup QB room with Davis Mills and Case Keenum in the NFL? I would have to. I know the Cowboys like theirs, but there's no guarantee Trey Lance could play. Uh, Cooper Rush, they like. But here you got Mills, who's had a bunch of 300-yard games in his career. You got Case Keenum, who's won playoff games. So I don't think anybody's got a deeper or a better backup quarterback situation. You hope that's not tested. Yeah, Chris's other question is an interesting one, John. Um, If the Texans needed a win-it-and-get-in game and C.J. was out, he says, who would you two prefer to play, Mills or Case? Obviously, the Texans would play Mills. He's the backup every week, and Case is the emergency. But, John, if you were were D'Amico Ryans and Nick Casario, who would you prefer to play, uh, Davis Mills or Case Keenum, in a game you got to have? Since they like Mills as their backup, and I think Mills being coached by Gerard Johnson with Bobby Slowick as the play caller, it would, his improvement over last season would be dramatic. You know, I think that Davis Mills would be good. And uh, I think it wouldn't surprise me at all if Davis in a couple of years doesn't start for another team. And Case would be great, but if they thought Case was the guy, he wouldn't be third team, so I'd say Mills. Yeah, I, at this juncture in the season, I'd say Mills only because I don't think Case has gotten enough reps probably to where he's like ready to go. He's older too. He's 35, you know, like he so – parts of it would be like riding a bike again for him, but I just feel like Davis has probably gotten the more intense preparation kind of vibe of these two this year so far, be my guess. I'm going to write a column about this at some point for SportsRadio610.com about the substantial role that Case Keenum has played in C.J. Stroud's development. Um, JR in Spicewood, frequent emailer to the podcast, says, guys, he says, I love the show. I know you all said CJ has offensive rookie of the year wrapped up. Considering the Texans will be facing below average QBs for the remainder of their games, what does Will Anderson need to do to win defensive rookie of the year? John, you mentioned earlier Jalen Carter. It's been kind of quiet on the Jalen Carter front um, of late. Will Anderson, I saw in one book, his odds for defensive rookie of the year went from 14 to one down to four to one after the game this past weekend. That's a big, big move for one week. Top candidates are Carter, the corner from uh, Seattle. Witherspoon. Yeah, Witherspoon, but they're fading. I think that he needs to keep playing like he played. He's going to get a lot of attention. And a lot of it is what market you play in because they have more voters on the 50 member AP panel. And this would be the time to do it. 
I'm still wondering if they could flex the Browns game to prime time. I don't know. They're going to flex somebody because the game right now is bad. That would put him in front of more voters. I think it hurts him that he's not playing on national TV, but that game Sunday over Denver went to almost the entire country. So he needs to keep doing what he's doing. It's always, what have you done for me lately? So if you start off slow, it doesn't matter. People remember what they see at the end. In Philadelphia, I haven't seen Jalen Carter making dramatic plays like he did early in the year. Don't know if he's nicked up or what, but I think he's got a chance to overtake it. But this is crunch time to stretch drive, and you know that's important to him. John, that was a J.J. Watt kind of game on Sunday. Absolutely. The, the Willie Anderson game. I mean, it was there were there were numbers, crooked numbers, in practically every column of the box score for him. And it didn't even it didn't even include the fact that he blocked a punt also. I love Brian Ballinger played in the NFL and offensive line forever for NFL Network. He breaks down plays, and he broke down. He does CJ almost every week, and I retweet the heck out of it when he does the Texans, and he did well, and he was just mesmerized by the pressure he was putting on uh, Russell Wilson, how quick he was, how relentless he was, and he just – He's amazed. And I've seen a couple others that did that. He has gotten people's attention. His cardio has got to be incredible because his motor is nonstop. And I know you're going to remember the play. The one play that Baldinger broke down, he broke down like four or five of them. But the one that he broke down where Will got double teamed and Russell Wilson got flushed out of the pocket away from Will, yeah. and Will still circled all the way yep. around and was the one who made the tackle on him. That was incredible. It, it really was. was. Yeah. Just like CJ's completion to Brevin Jordan, who he was running at an angle, being chased, and he floated the pass perfectly for a 14-yard gain. That was his best pass. Ballinger, Orlovsky, all those guys diagnosed that and ran it and analyzed it, and they were all just uh, just captivated by that yeah. play. Yeah, John, that didn't look real, that, that CJ, the play you're talking about, where he, he had the guy right in his face rolling out to the left and somehow, with a contorted angle of his body, was able to to get it to Brevin Jordan. That set up a touchdown. That was right after the Stingley, inter- the first Stingley interception. It set up uh, set up the uh, the touchdown to Nico Collins at the other end at the beginning of the fourth quarter. So, um, yeah, man, this rookie class injury plagued right now. A bunch of guys out with injuries, but boy, John, even though like the that's the only bad thing you can say about the class because when they've come in, yeah, I think they've. I don't think there's a single one that hasn't performed to his. To, to or above his draft slot. C.J. Stroud is is performing like the number one overall pick. You know, Will Anderson is living up to the number three overall pick. Um, Juice Scruggs, he's been injured, but the two games he's gotten into, he's been fine. He's been solid, I guess. I don't know. I, I didn't watch Super Club. The line overall wasn't great, so I, I, I will, I'll do an incomplete on Juice Scruggs because it's only been a game and a half for him. But Tank Dell maybe the best rookie receiver this season, him and Jordan Addison. Fourth round, Dylan Horton, before he got sick, was in the rotation for with the defensive ends, and he was making occasional plays. Henry Toa Toa, fifth round pick, played a bunch of football for them this year. Jared Patterson, Xavier Hutchinson, they've both gotten on the field for this team. Jared Patterson started a bunch of games at center as a rookie. So when these guys are all healthy coming into training camp next year, and if Derek Stingley is right, 
they rebuild Kenyon Green from the ground up. Kenyon is like a that'd be found money if Kenyon Green turned into a player. But <laughs> but but you know Christian Harris from the you know from last year's rookie class is playing better, and you know Petrie needs to play better, but it's in there somewhere with Petrie. I feel like Mechie's the one, John. If if somehow Mechie can take some of these opportunities that are you know that are vacant right now with Tank Dell out. Um, I, I, I think about this game last weekend and what would we be saying about John Mechie if CJ puts that ball on him right before the half and he gets a yep. 50 some odd yard touchdown, we're probably talking about John Mechie being the guy who can really take over that, you know, not really take over, but really fill that void with tank Dell. Cause that play was John, that play was a lot like the one that CJ hit against Arizona where He's under pressure, and then he does the point deep thing, and Tank goes deep. You watch CJ on that play. He's doing that with Mechie. Mechie it was a short route Mechie ran, but CJ starts to get pressured a little bit, and he points him to go deep, and Mechie takes off deep. And I wonder if CJ overthrew it only because he's used to doing that with Tank, who's probably a little faster. I think that's exactly Mechie. right. He's a lot yeah. faster. And the thing about Mechie, anything they get out of him this year is gravy after he had cancer. I've thought all along next season is when we're going to see him really play like he played at Alabama and when Nick Serio traded to get back into the second round to draft him. Yep, absolutely. John, what do you got going on on SportsRadio610.com? I have uh, a, a two columns up there right now, and I've got another one I'm going to work on, on on D'Amico Ryans and Robert Sala and their time here for Kubiak and how when he was out of football, Sala called him, found out, he was interested in coaching, and Johnny Holland, who was here with the 49ers, called him. Finally, Kyle Shanahan called him and offered him a job, and then, of course, he replaced Sala. I'm torn between that one, and I'm torn between one on Stingley and Gardner, but I've got a lot of uh, Lombardi duties on Wednesday, so I'm only going to write Thursday and Friday, but I'm leaning toward Ryan's and Sala. Good deal. Look forward to that. That'll all be on SportsRadio610.com. And, John, you and I have a Thursday episode that I'm looking forward to very much as the Texans try to go three games over 500 for the first time since 2019. So it should mm-hmm. be a lot of fun. Enjoyed it as always. Remember their last road loss. I haven't lost on the road till since Carolina. Since Carolina. Yeah, that's it, man. Absolutely. Well, yeah, that's – They beat, beat Cincinnati. Cincinnati. That was the last loss. Yeah, yeah. So, but that's but they've been at home, John, for four of their last five. Yep, it's still factually accurate. It's true. Let's yeah. Let's let's not dig into it. Um, all right, John. I enjoyed this as always. We'll do it Thank again you. on Thursday. All right, good stuff. John McClain, the Hall of Famer. Um, big thanks to James, our producer, James Jackson, for getting the podcast out to all of you on a timely basis. We appreciate that. We appreciate all of you clicking the subscribe button so that you get the podcast automatically to whatever device it is you listen. Um, whatever device you listen to the uh, the podcast, uh, wherever you listen to it, you will get it automatically when you hit subscribe. So for James and John, I'm Sean. We are out of time. We will see all of you on Thursday for a preview of Week 14, Texans and Jets. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you.